are you willing, are you willing for Christ to be born in you? Which means he takes over, he leads, you follow, you serve. We continue our series, I've introduced our year-long series actually, The Life of Jesus. And so I urge you, remember this is your Christmas present to me, buy a book, join a group, invite a friend. This is a time of year when someone may heed your words a little more and get them to come along and, and ask the questions about who Christ is. Bring them with you. The Christmas portion of this series, which are readings 1 through 19. Have you, have you done your readings this week? That's right. Read along with it. We'll focus on what I call Christmas relics. And Christmas relics are inanimate objects that are mentioned in the story of Jesus' birth. Well, why would you focus on those kinds of things? Well, understand this. Everything included in the Scripture. Everything written down in the narratives of Jesus' life was divinely inspired. As I said last week, we believe in plenary inspiration, which means the whole of Scripture. But we also believe in verbal inspiration, down to the very words used. The Holy Spirit spoke into and through a number of different men to give us the Scripture. If you want to study the theology of inspiration, 2 Timothy 3.16, 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Now, what we have is an English translation, not a Greek or a Hebrew. The Bible was written originally in Hebrew and in Greek, not in English. So, we don't have exactly the Greek and Hebrew, but when a, an inanimate object is mentioned, that's a literal translation. Today's message is entitled, An Inn and a Manger. And it focuses on items that Mary and Joseph encountered in Bethlehem where Jesus was born. Open your books. Mine's a big one. Yours is smaller. But mine's shaped exactly the same way. And first take out your outline. This verse is on your top of your outline. Luke 2, 7. And this is from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. We use that because that was the version that had the best harmony of the gospels which is what we are studying through as David has mentioned a harmony is is set up chronologically and all four gospels are synthesized into one story so we read everything that Jesus did and said but we don't read it repeated numbers of times it's synthesized into one narrative Luke 2 7 then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. The word son is capitalized because it implies divinity. That's why you see the capitalization. 
The inn and the manger first were part of a divine plan. Luke chapter 2, page 17, verses 1 through 5. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. A census for tax purposes. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee. The reason that Joseph went up is because Bethlehem is at about 2,500 feet. Nazareth is at about 1,100 feet. So he actually climbed over a thousand feet to go up to Bethlehem. So he went from Galilee, where Nazareth is, to Judea, where Bethlehem is, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him, actually betrothed to him and was pregnant. So that's an English um, adaptation of the word because the relationship was actually betrothal. Now what's happening here? A pagan ruler, Caesar Augustus, decreed a census for taxation purposes that forced Joseph to leave Nazareth with Mary, his betrothed wife, and to travel to Bethlehem, his ancestral home, also hers, her home. In first century Palestine, betrothal was a legally binding agreement which lasted a year. It meant that the groom and bride were officially pledged to each other, but they didn't live together and any sexual contact was expressly forbidden. In fact, Not true of Mary and Joseph, but there may have been little or no contact, physical contact of any kind before the marriage ceremony. Often these arrangements were put together by parents and the two didn't meet until the marriage ceremony. Joseph and Mary were required to make this arduous journey, depending on the route, 70 to 80 miles to Bethlehem to be registered for this Roman census. But in so doing, they would fulfill the prophecy about the birthplace of the Messiah that's found in Micah 5.2. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us that God is in control over history. That God is sovereign over rulers and kings like Caesar. And even if the ruler doesn't worship or even acknowledge God, God can cause that person To do his will. Proverbs 21, 1. So here's the application. Do you have a difficult, frustrating situation within authority? Do you? Well, what this passage tells us is that even though you can't control that person, God can. And you pray that God will change that person's mind and God will redirect that person's heart because he can. Now, it doesn't say he will. 
which means then you continue to pray and ask what God's doing in you through this difficulty because God has a purpose behind his plan. Now let's reflect on these two inanimate items that are mentioned in the story. The first is an inn. An inn with no room displays that God's plan doesn't promise comfort. You know, most of us have embraced the fact that Jesus was born in a stable. Is that right? How many believe Jesus was born in a stable? Let me see some hands. Now, here's a story. You saw it on the video, right? We, we think that Joseph walked into Bethlehem pulling a donkey on which Mary was riding. Now, she was miserable because she was very pregnant. In fact, likely feeling labor pains by this time. They looked for a place to stay. And when they inquired at the inn, the community inn, there were no vacancies. But the innkeeper, seeing that this woman was very pregnant and about to deliver, offered his stable. Is that right? Is it? Give me an answer. Is that right? Almost none of that's true. Almost none of it's true. Perhaps some of it is, but, but the source of that information is Christmas tradition. It's movies, it's videos, it's Christmas cards. It's not the scripture. And so what I want us to learn is that if we want to know what God wants to tell us, how do, how do we learn that? We read his word. We study his word. Folks, we've got to shuck off this second-hand information about what the scripture says. Because a lot of what our culture, even the Christian culture says about faith, about God, about Christ is not true. God is the source of his truth, so we study his word to discern it. We look at two, Luke chapter 2, verse 6, on page 17. Just two words. These notes are very good as well. Read the notes while you're studying. While they were there, it happened that the days were completed for her to give birth. Now what does that tell you? It tells you she didn't come in that night in labor. It may have been days, perhaps weeks, possibly months that she remained before she actually went into labor. We think she was already in agony, don't we, when she first pulled into town. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. Okay, are you ready to learn? Well, I didn't know we had to go to church. He's going to try to teach us something. 
I thought he was going to talk about Christmas. The word that's translated in, I have to give you a little Greek, is a Greek word, kataluma. It's probably on the screen by now. No. And the Greek word, kataluma, means a lodging place, an inn, or a guest chamber. In fact, the same word is in Luke twenty-two eleven, referring to the Passover meal of Jesus, and it's called the guest room. We know it as the upper room, but literally it's the guest room. Same word, by the same writer, by Luke as well. Now, Luke did tell a story that involved a public lodging house. You know what that one was? The Good Samaritan. Remember where the Samaritan paid for the injured man to be um, housed. So it, he used a different word, however, to designate a commercial inn. Pandokion. You don't have to know the word, but it's a completely different word, again, by the same author. That's Luke 10, 34 and 35. Now here's the actual setting. The census brought everyone to Bethlehem whose family line originated there. Not just David's. So there would have been many visitors in the village. Now typically small villages, particularly ones that weren't on main roads or trading routes, didn't even have a public lodging house. And at this time, Bethlehem would have had less than a thousand residents. So, how many of you are going home for Christmas? Not many. Where will you stay? You can stay at your mother's, Kim. Who else is going home? Where are you going to stay? Say it loud. Your mom and dad's. See, when you travel, where do you stay? With your relatives, with your family. If you're staying in a hotel, it's either there are too many people or there's another reason. (laughs) So, typically, when traveling, people were housed with relatives. Everyone's coming back to Bethlehem because it's where their family originated. So they would stay first with family, then with perhaps friends, perhaps strangers who were practicing the Jewish law of hospitality. Now that brings us to what houses in the first century Palestine were like. You see that the movie is very accurate because everything's made of stone. Chiseled, chiseled out of limestone usually. Houses in first century Palestine had one main room, the family room, and that's where everyone ate, the family ate, their family slept. But they often had a second room. The second room was a guest room 
for company. It could be used for storage. That was the cataluma. And sometimes it was on a slightly upper level. Now there would also be a, a place on a lower level chiseled out of the hillside, dug into the ground where animals were kept at night. The animals were brought in so they wouldn't be stolen. Also, the animals would be warmer in the house and the animals would provide warmth to the house. So it's likely that Joseph and Mary went to the home of relatives to stay when they arrived in Bethlehem. Now perhaps they traveled very slowly because of her condition. And there's no donkey in the story. So she may have walked. Or been pulled on a cart or something. Might have had a donkey but there's no mention of it in the, in the scripture. That's surprising isn't it? So by the time they got there. The guest room was full, the Cataluma. So there was no room for them in the inn. They were then offered to sleep down where the animals were kept at night. You wouldn't put your guests there first, would you? Well, some of you might. Some of you don't want to go back to mom and dad's house because of where you're put when you get there, but sleeping in your old bunk beds. But, but this all that was left, the house was full. So they were not driven outside. They were said, you've got to sleep down here where the animals stay. I've been to Israel twice, in fact. And the birthplace of Jesus in the church of the nativity in Bethlehem is in a limestone cave. You can feel the walls. You can see it. You can see the, the, where smoke, where fires have burned in this room and there's smoke all up in the ceiling. It's pretty smooth. It was chiseled out real nicely, perhaps even after Jesus' time. Because it was, and it's been dressed up with tapestries and, and stuff. But you can still see the cave. Underneath the altar in a church now. It's interesting too. That in Israel. You can buy a little wooden stable. But if y'all saw this video. Which again that wasn't likely taken in Israel. But, but in the, in the um, Middle East. There's not a lot of wood. There's some palm trees. But they're not very big in diameter. So you don't find lots of lumber or timber in that country everything's made out of stone and 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 the people lived in caves very often you'll see a hillside and there'll be an exhaust hole it's interesting to me it it seems to say God provides for his people we live in a country where there is lots of timber so even years ago with the pioneers they could fell logs and create cabins they can't do that in the Middle East. But if you had a hammer and a chisel, you could make a house by just carving it into the hillside. The, the, the craftsmen there 
also sell nativity sets that are olive wood logs hollowed out. And they look like caves. You've seen those, haven't you? I think it's more accurate. I think it would be more like the cave that our production team built here. Much more accurate. But the point here, remember all this about whether it was a house, whether it was an inn, whose opinion is this? Mine. What do you get to do with my opinion? You take it with a grain of salt, that's right. But don't take this point with a grain of salt. Learn what God wants you to know from his word, not from videos, cultures, Christmas cards, other people's opinion. And the point that's undeniable is that this frightened teenaged woman, likely not more than 15 years old, surrendered her life. Boy, that song was powerful, wasn't it, by Laura? I have nothing to offer you but a vacancy that you would be born in me. Gosh, that was a strong song. She surrendered, yes, her body, but in that culture, she surrendered her life to serve God by bearing his son. She didn't deliver the Messiah in ease, comfort, or cleanliness. She gave birth, not even in the guest room, is my opinion, the Cataluma, but in the place where the animals slept. What does that mean for us? It means that serving God does not guarantee ease, convenience, or even reward on earth. In fact, the opposite's true. You know, what, the thing that God's committed to you about is refining your faith, strengthening your trust. How many of us strengthen our trust in ease? The scripture's very clear that God uses hardship, struggles, and suffering to refine our faith, to transform our lives. James 1, 2 through 4, 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. So here's the question for you. Right now, are you following God's will in something? And it's not going well. So my question is, how are you responding? What do you feel like when you're very obedient and God doesn't bless your obedience? How do you feel? You feel let down, sometimes angry, disappointed, when in fact what God's showing us is you serve me and I decide the outcome. And in with no room also displays that God's plan receives God's support. God knew without Mary saying that she feared the response of her family, the rejection of her friends, the ridicule of her neighbors, but most importantly, the accusation and likely abandonment 
by her betrothed husband. But God intervened to provide the support she would need to fulfill his plan. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and it's on page 14. So I'm going backward a little bit to show you what happened before. Right there in reading 10. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they came together, that means sexually, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. So Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Betrothal could only be terminated, you see, by divorce or death. Now, this was a culture that strongly frowned on immorality. Here was was what would be thought to be an adulterous woman who would certainly be criticized, shunned, divorced, and might be stoned to death. Because Joseph was a righteous Jewish man, though only 17 to 20 years old probably, he would not marry a sexually immoral woman. But because he was a good and kind man, he would not shame her publicly and certainly wouldn't demand her death. But this teenage woman, you see, needed a husband to provide for her, to protect her and the soon-to-be-born special son. So God intervened supernaturally. Verse 20. But after he considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Confirming the lineage. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to name him Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. The word Jesus literally means Yahweh. Which is God's personal name. Yahweh saves. Or paraphrased, God saves. And the name Jesus is the same as the name Jacob in Hebrew. Which the name Mary is the same as, you know what Hebrew name? Miriam. So if you're named Miriam, you have the same name as Mary. He will save his people from his sins. That's what he does. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. There's inspiration. See the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel which is translated God is with us. That's Isaiah 7:14, and that tells us who he is. When Joseph woke up from his sleep he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He took his wife home. Wife because remember they're betrothed. Not necessarily that they've they've had a ceremony, but she's his betrothed wife. But he did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son and he named him Jesus. 
Now, what profession was Joseph? Not likely. What did the hillside look like? So what profession do you think? Where's Andy Patterson? I don't, I don't see him. What profession was he like, more likely? Mason. Now, I think it's technion, and, and the word actually will encompass craftsmen of both kinds. Carpenter or Mason, and maybe they only, they only had one name and someone would do both. But there wasn't much wood to work. So Joseph, the carpenter or Mason, would support his family financially and repeatedly protect them from the threat of Roman kings who were intent on killing the newborn king. In Matthew 2, you see it. See, here's what the point. When we follow God's plan for our life, do you know God's plan for your life? How many of you think God has a plan for your life? I want to see hands. Keep them up if you know what it is. Oh, that's not a good drop. You've got to spend time before God on your face to know what he wants with you. What he wants for you. When you follow God's plan for your life, he will support, provide, and protect you. You know, sometimes people are scared that if they become a Christian or a really committed follower, God will send them somewhere, some other continent. But you know what? The safest place you can be is immersed in the will of God. In whatever continent. The most dangerous place you can be is outside of the will of God. So what's God's plan for you? And why are you hesitating? Do you think, I can't do this, I lack the resources? God doesn't. You follow the plan, it's his obligation to provide the resources. Leanne and I came here 23 years ago. We had two infants and enough money to live one year. There's only one explanation. The resources are sometimes financial, but a lot more often they're personal. But are you connected with other Christians to encourage you, to challenge you, to teach you, to coax you? Folks, you have to get connected in a small group, in a relationship. Maybe God's saying it's time for you to get out of this addiction that's been strangling the life out of you. Celebrate recovery. Meets upstairs. Transformation prayer will help you get wounds. Take some steps. You see, God doesn't have to open the Red Sea until you step toward it. A manger, on the other hand, was used for a cradle. And what it demonstrates... Again, you see Luke 2, 7. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him snugly in cloth, laid him in a manger. You know what a manger is. It sounds real 
romantic, doesn't it? It's a feeding trough. My grandfather and my uncles had farms. Anybody in here ever slop the hogs? Oh yeah, I slopped the hog. Um, it's a feeding trough for animals, a crib for holding hay or grain. It may have been a wooden box. You're right, it's not likely. Wood was so rare that it would be used for um, doors, perhaps windows, but usually windows weren't covered, handles for some tools. So wood, the precious wood was used for more important items, not for a box to put animal feed in. More likely, mangers were carved into the floor or into the wall of the place where, where animals were kept. Sometimes dug into the floor. There's a cave where um, Mary later saw the, the angel, where the angel first spoke to her. I don't mean later, but originally spoke to her. And it's a cave down below, far below street level. The manger demonstrates that God will accept your life. God decided this isn't accident. This isn't coincidence. This isn't circumstance. God decided for his son to sleep in a feeding trough. To appeal to some very special people. Luke chapter 2 verse 12. No, verse 18, I'm sorry. It was section 12. Page 18. In In section 12 there. In that same region, shepherds were living out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock, which likely means this was the spring because they're sleeping outside. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for you see, I announce to you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. Because today in the city of David, Bethlehem, was born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Remember the word Christ is the Greek word, and the Hebrew word is Messiah. Those mean the same thing, anointed. So they knew this angel was saying the Messiah is being born. This will be the sign for you. Notice the word sign. A sign is a supernatural indication or identifier. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they hurried off. They ran. 
And they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Who were shepherds? Shepherds, one that were uneducated and unskilled. But they were also disrespected and mistrusted. They were regarded as so dishonest that they weren't allowed to testify in court. Because they worked with sheep, they were considered ceremonially unclean because of some of the things they had to do. And they weren't allowed in the temple. They were social, moral, and religious outcasts. The lowest level of society who were treated with scorn and suspicion. But they were the first invited guests to see the Savior. And they were invited by angels. Why'd they go? Why do you think they went? I think they went because of the sign. Not only had they seen the angels, but seeing the angels didn't necessarily mean they'd be given admission. They weren't allowed into any other upper class home. But they heard that this child was laid in a manger. That was the sign. So they knew that this special child who was the Savior, who was the long expected Messiah, must be among common people. In a humble setting. So they might be accepted in. If Jesus had been born into the family of the king, I think if any of us had planned it, we would have put him in a very prominent family, right? So he would have been born with influence. Rather than to parents who were peasants. They would have wondered whether they would be allowed near him. And so would we. The manger proves that God will accept our lives. Just as he accepted these unwashed shepherds. Regardless of the mistakes we've made. The sins we have committed. Or the status we occupy. Do you hesitate to come to Christ? See, it's interesting. In our culture, some come or don't come for one or the other reasons. But but there are two reasons we would come improperly. Either we stride up arrogantly, almost demanding that we be forgiven. So we've never had revealed the true state of our souls. Or we're afraid to come because we know the state of our souls. Do you hesitate to come to Christ? I'm not saying come to church. I'm saying come to Christ. Because there's something deep inside you that fears his rejection. You don't measure up. You've made too many mistakes. You've said some awful things. You've done some worse things. You'll be accepted just as the shepherds were. The manger also demonstrates that God will use our lives. Continuing there at verse 17 on page 18, right at the bottom. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it 
were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. These men were changed by what they saw. They were, they were transformed by an experience of seeing the Son of God wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And they had to tell it. What are you telling? What are you telling? Verse 19, but Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart. Remember, this is about a 15-year-old girl amazed at what she's seeing and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they'd been told. Now, who were these men? I've already told you. They weren't religious They weren't righteous. They weren't allowed in the temple at all. They were probably largely ignorant of the scriptures except what they'd heard secondhand. And they became worshipers of God. They glorified and they praised God not after hearing the angel's announcement of good news. That's not what changed them. What changed them? What changed them, Kim? They saw the Son of God. These shepherds, remember, they were avoid, they were suspected, they were minimized. And they became men who people stopped and listened to. Because they'd been so changed by their experience that it was evident to everyone. You see, when Jesus occupies anything or anyone, he changes it. It doesn't change him. He makes it special. A feeding trough for cattle became the cradle for a king without diminishing his glory. God will fill any willing vessel. He will use any willing person. Emphasis is on willing, isn't it? Which means surrendered. Have you seen him? Have you experienced Jesus personally? Are you willing to be used, not for your purpose, but for God's plan? You see, if you've seen him, if you've experienced him, you'll be transformed already just like these shepherds and you will glorify 
and praise God for all that you've seen and heard. Does that statement describe you? If it doesn't, remember we're talking about some uneducated shepherds who were radically changed. Have you been radically changed by an experience with the Son of God? That's what salvation is. It's not less than that. Radical transformation from experiencing the Son of God. Counselors will be here at the front. I implore you, pursue the Son of God at Christmas. You got to unwrap some of the cultural trappings. But ask God to speak to you, to show you himself so you can be changed. There'll be counselors here. They'll talk with you. They'll pray with you. They'll anoint you with oil if you're struggling with some kind of emotional or physical illness. They're also in the care connection room to help you. Father, we thank you for sending your son in a way we wouldn't be afraid to approach him. Lord, today, send him again. Send him to many in this room that don't truly know you, haven't seen you, have missed that experience. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for coming.